Well, we are so glad that you guys are back with us today because today is the second and final week of a mini-series that we started just last week. If you weren't here, the title of this series is called Endgame. Now, I acknowledged last week when we kicked the series off that most of you are familiar with this term because of an Avengers movie that came out a few years ago. I don't know if you saw the movie or not, but it was a movie that kind of talked about how the remaining Avengers on the earth were going to prepare for battle one final time against the evil villain Thanos. And it was a really, really important battle because whatever happened in that battle would determine the way things would be once and for all. And that's why the end game is so important because there really is a sense of finality to it. Once it's over and done, there is no changing it from that day forward. But I also told you last week that this term is not just a term that's used in an Avengers movie. It was actually originally used in the game of chess. In any game of chess, you've got two opponents who are going at it with one another. Inevitably, they start losing pieces off of the board. And the end game kind of describes this final segment in any battle of the game of chess where these players are now making key moves that will determine who wins and who loses. Now, I kind of kicked the series off last week by talking about that. And then some of you actually came and you taught me something about the end game. I had some of you come and tell me, hey, the end game is actually the name of a song that was put out by, anybody know? Taylor Swift, okay? So apparently in this song, if you listen to it, okay, Taylor doesn't just want to be his next girl. Swifty wants to be his last girl, okay? And so what she says in the song is she says, I want to be your end game. And when you look at the way this term is used, whether it's a, a Taylor Swift song or in the game of chess or even in an Avengers movie, what you see is that the term describes those important moments when decisions are being made that will determine how things will be once and for all. And that really is why this series is so important. You cannot live all of your life just thinking about what you want today. You instead need to be thinking about where you want to be tomorrow. And that requires living every day of your life with the end game in mind. And so there's a guy named the Apostle Paul who writes a lot of different letters in the New Testament. And in almost every one of his letters, the Apostle Paul is always talking about the end game. And part of the reason that Paul talks about the end game is because it's important. But the other reason is because he watches people as they're preparing for the end and he sees that they have no hope. We talked about that phrase last week. Paul is watching people who are dealing with the reality of death. And he said in his day and in his time that these people who were dealing with the reality of death, they have no hope. So I said last week, I said, I watch people deal with the reality of death all the time. I, I've been to more funerals than probably anyone in the room, anyone watching online. And what I see over and over again is that people in our world are holding on to false hope. People who watch loved ones die, loved ones who show no interest in a relationship with God, show no interest in a relationship with Jesus. 
They live like hell and somehow end up in heaven. That's false hope. And the Apostle Paul would say, that's really no hope at all. And so as we prepare, either for the end of our lives or for the end game, the end of the world itself, we need real hope. And so Paul talked about how to get that last week at the end of chapter 4. Today I want to pick it up again at the beginning of chapter 5, where Paul shares a little bit more about the end game. This is what he says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, most Bible scholars believe that right here, the Apostle Paul is responding to some specific questions that are probably coming out of this church in Thessalonica. The people are wanting to know when. It was the question people wanted to know back then. It's the question that people want to know even to this day. Everyone seems to be interested in when is the end of the world really going to happen? When is this thing called the second coming of Jesus Christ? When is Jesus going to come back and get his people. And so the Apostle Paul is responding to that question, and he responds in a really honest, really open and transparent way, and he basically says, I have no idea. That's why he uses these words. He says, it will come like a thief in the night. Paul didn't know. And so what Paul does is he defaults into using the exact same language that Jesus used when people asked him, about the end times. So Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44, Jesus is teaching about the end game. And this is what he said. He said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. So so Paul didn't know. And so Paul is teaching, just like Jesus taught, that you should be living every single day of your life with the end game in mind. You should be living every day of your life completely prepared for the possibility that the Lord Jesus just might come back. And when you do that, let me tell you, it radically changes the way in which you live your life. Tony Evans once said this. He said, the more you think about eternity, the greater the life you will live on the earth. The more you think about the end game, the more you think about the fact that someday you will spend forever somewhere. The the greater the life you will live on this earth because you will have fewer regrets. You will make better decisions because you are living as though you are always ready for Christ to return. Now, I want us to think a little bit more about Paul's answer to the question, but before we do that, I want to think a little bit more about the question itself. That, That question, when? Why is it that that everyone wants to know when it's going to happen? I mean, we already saw there in Matthew 
that when Jesus was teaching about the end times, the first question that people had is, well, when is it going to happen? When the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica, and he's talking about the end game, he's talking about the inevitable. It's all going to end, whether in death or in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everyone wants to know, when is it going to happen? And let me tell you something. In our day, people are obsessed with trying to figure out, when is it going to happen? So there's a guy named John Hagee, and I'm not necessarily saying that you should read his books, but he is a very popular author who writes all the time about the end of time and when it's going to happen. And so I just want you to listen to some of the books that he has published over the last few years. Back in 2013, he published a book that became a New York Times bestseller. The title of the book was Four Blood Moons, Something is About to Change. Now, if you pay attention to that title, what you realize is that he is hinting at the fact that we are getting really, really close to the end. You can see it in the sky, four blood moons. Something is about to change, and it could happen at any moment. And it became a best-selling book on the New York Times bestseller list. Last year, he published another book. The title of that book was Earth's Last Empire. Check it out, The Final Game of Thrones. And so what's he suggesting with that title? There aren't going to be any more empires after the empires that exist right here, right now. We are in the final days. The final Game of Thrones is starting to happen. He's got another book that's coming out in September. This one is called The End of the Age, subtitle, The Countdown Has Begun, right? So, so there's a clock apparently, and it just now started counting down to the end. You know, it hasn't been going on for all of eternity. And all of these titles just kind of get at the fact that, that people are curious about the end. And when people think about the end, they're thinking about when. And the question is, why? And I think it's because people know in their heart, they sense the need to get ready before it's too late. They feel in their spirit that they need a little notice, that they need a little warning so that they have time to, quote unquote, get right with God. And I just want to tell you that that is no way to think. And that is no way for you to be living every day of your life. Because the Apostle Paul said that, that it's going to happen but he's coming back and it will be like a thief in the night in that it will be both sudden and it will be completely unexpected. And because you don't know when, listen, you don't get ready, you stay ready. That's what Paul wants for these people who are followers of Jesus. This isn't, oh, let's get ready at the last possible minute. It's no, I'm going to live my life staying ready for what Paul is calling the day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord that the Apostle Paul is talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that the Bible has a lot to say about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so a lot of us are kind of going, okay, the day of the Lord, Jesus is coming back again. Like, like what is going to happen. Well, Bible says a lot about it. In fact, I want to share with you an overview that has been given to us by David Jeremiah. Just listen to how much the Bible speaks about this issue. 
He said, although Christians are most familiar with the first coming of Christ, that's Christmas, okay? So we're celebrating little baby Jesus being born in a manger. We're all familiar with the first coming of Christ. He says, it is the second coming that gets the most ink in the Bible. References to the second coming outnumber references to the first by a ratio of eight to one. Scholars count 1,845 biblical references to the second coming of Christ, including 318 in the New Testament. Christ's return is emphasized in no less than 17 Old Testament books and seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament. The Lord himself, Jesus, refers to his own return 21 different times. The second coming is second only to faith as the most dominant subject in the New Testament. So when you read this book, you you can read in both the Old Testament and you can read in the New Testament. And over and over and over, all of these different authors who were writing in different languages, in different places, in different centuries throughout human history, as they were being prompted by the Holy Spirit, they all kept talking about the fact that yes, Jesus is coming once, but then Jesus is coming back to the earth again. The question is, well, what is going to happen on the day of the Lord? What is going to happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ that is so important and it's so significant that Paul says, you don't get ready, you better stay ready. There's an article in the Holman Bible Dictionary where they talk and they hint at what is really going to happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'll share it with you. There they say it like this as they kind of survey the whole teaching of the Bible on this important future historic moment. They say this, New Testament writers took up an Old Testament expression to point to Christ's final victory and the final judgment of sinners. In so doing, they use several different expressions. Day of Jesus Christ, day of our Lord Jesus, day of the Lord, day of Christ, day of judgment, the day, that day, and day of wrath. Now, there are two texts in particular where we see language that helps us understand what really will happen at the second coming of Christ and the day of the Lord. I'll take you first to 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. John, who was one of the closest followers of Jesus while he was on the earth, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, he would write and say that Jesus referred to him often as the disciple that Jesus loved. He writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, and he says this is not just the day of the Lord. He calls it the day of judgment. Then you look in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. The apostle Paul, who's writing in This letter is also writing that letter. And he says it's not just the day of the Lord or the day of Jesus Christ. He says that it is the day of God's wrath. And so as you think about the end game, I need every one of you to understand that Jesus is coming back. But I also need you to understand that when he comes back, it will be a time when he exercises judgment over the world that he has made. And God, his father, will 
pour his wrath out on the earth at that time. Now, when most people think about that event and when they think about judgment, they think about it and it is a terrifying thought. And I want you to know, it will be a terrifying thing for some people. But it is not a terrifying thing for people who are in a relationship with Jesus. It is not a terrifying thought for people who have actually been living their life with the end game in mind. Instead of it being a terrifying thought, the Apostle Paul and all of these other New Testament authors suggest that it is actually an encouraging thought. And so you go back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. I want to show you everything that John says in that verse. He says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will all have confidence on the day of judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but if I time out right there and I think about a day of judgment, I think about a day where I'm going to stand before my creator to give an account for my life. It's probably a lot of words that describe the way I feel, and confidence is nowhere on the list, okay? And maybe that's just me, maybe you're way better than me, and you just feel confident standing up there in front of God. But what he says is that as he's writing to these people who are followers of Jesus, he says, that's not a day that should terrify you, that's a day that should breed confidence in you. And I go, how in the world is it breeding confidence? What did he say at the very end of the verse? In this world, we are like Jesus. So for all of us who know Jesus, for all of us who have the Holy Spirit of God that's working inside of us to make us more and more like Jesus, for those of us who are living with the end game in mind and we're preparing for that day, that's not a day to be scared. That's not a day that we should dread. This is a day that we can approach with absolute confidence or go back to our primary text this morning first Thessalonians chapter 5 at the very end of this passage down in verse 11 after he's spoken about the second coming of Christ this day of impending judgment what did he say that's an encouraging thought for us he said therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing he said something very similar at the end of chapter 4 where he had introduced the second coming of Christ there he actually said Said this in verse 18. He said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, this is not a terrifying thought if you have a relationship with Jesus. This is actually an encouraging thought because you've been living your life with the end in mind. You have trusted Jesus to forgive your sins and to lead your life. And so the day of judgment is not going to be a bad thing. It's actually going to be a great thing. Because it will be the day when Jesus does away with evil once and for all. He's going to do away with evil men, and he's going to do away with evil women, and he's going to do away with evil children. Anybody seen evil children in their life? He's going to deal with them. So either get your kid right with Jesus, or he's going to deal with those evil kids, right? But, but he is going to do away with evil once and for all. And those who are in a relationship with Jesus... Those of us who hate the sin in our life and we want to be more and more like Jesus. Those of us who are growing really, really weary in what is proving to be a really, really wicked world. It will be a great day. Now, 
I know that, that all of us think about that day and we're thinking, I, I don't see how it's going to be a great day because you don't know some of the things I've done. Listen, I know we've all done some awful things in our lives. I know we all have awful regrets. But what happens to you when you dread that day is you're thinking about what you have done and you're not thinking about what Jesus has done for you. See, when Jesus died on a cross, he dealt with God's wrath. He was judged on our behalf. He was condemned on our behalf. And he was punished on our behalf. So that when we think about the second coming of our Lord Jesus, we're not dreading it. We're instead looking forward to it. So when Paul is writing about the end times, the apostle Paul over and over again says, stop thinking about what you have done and go back to thinking about what Jesus has done for you. So in Romans chapter eight, verse one, he reminds those Christians, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of God's wrath, all of that condemnation has already been dealt with past tense when Jesus died on a cross. And so judgment will not be good for the oppressors in this world, but judgment will actually be a relief for those of us who have been oppressed in this world simply because we love Jesus, we want to live like Jesus, and we want to live for Jesus. But for those who do not know Jesus, for those who want nothing to do with Jesus, for those who aren't pursuing Jesus, for those who aren't acknowledging that they really need Jesus to forgive their sins and lead their life, Paul warns, trying to understand when, so that you can get ready at the last possible moment, that's an exercise in futility. And it doesn't work. Because the Lord will come back like a thief in the night at a time when you are not expecting it. So look at what he says in the very next verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. He says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now that language, peace and safety, was really familiar language in Paul's day because Paul is writing at what is close to the peak of the Roman Empire. And so at the peak of the Roman Empire, people were very familiar with this phrase, Pax Romana. It meant the peace of Rome. Rome was such a powerful and incredible kingdom that for about 200 years of human history, the people enjoyed a great deal of peace and safety because of the umbrella of the Roman Empire that protected them. But Paul said, in the end game, there will be people on the earth who will be thinking that they are at peace, who will be thinking as though they are completely safe. But then he adds, destruction will come on them suddenly. It will be like a, a pregnant woman who is having labor pains. When those contractions start, that baby is coming and there is no stopping it. Paul says, they will not escape. Anybody ever done an escape room? 
My family and I did this a while back, and I thought, why aren't we paying money for someone to lock us in a room so that we can try to figure out how to get out? Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. If you've never done it, like, they, they've got this clock on the wall, and there's all these clues in the room, and, and what's happening is the clock is ticking down to zero, and you are doing everything you can to try to figure out, how do I escape this? How do I, I get out of here? And the Apostle Paul says, there is no getting out of it. There is no escape when that day comes. And so one day, you're hanging out in downtown Ocean Springs at the Blueberry Festival. You're hanging out at Horn Island, celebrating Memorial Day with all of your friends. Giving no thought to eternity. Giving no thought to a relationship with Jesus giving no thought to the reality of the sin in your life and your need for forgiveness and reconciliation with your Creator. And then out of nowhere, Jesus comes back and a time of judgment begins and there is no escape. And all of that stuff is going to happen one day. And for some, it will be absolutely terrifying. But for those who are followers of Jesus, it will be a great day. Verses 4 through 10, Paul said this again as an encouraging thought for the believers. He says, but you brothers and sisters, he's talking about people who are obviously family, brothers and sisters, part of the family of God because of their faith in Jesus. He says, you're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we may live together with him. And so you read this passage and you look at these verses and you can see there is a tremendous amount of contrast that is going on. And it's because the Apostle Paul wants everyone to be really, really clear that a relationship with Jesus changes everything. There is a big difference between those who do know Jesus and those who do not know Jesus. He calls those who do know Jesus children of the day. And he calls those who do not know Jesus children of the night. There are two characteristics that describe the children of the day. They are awake and they are sober. And there are two other characteristics that describe the children of the night. They are drunk and they are asleep. Those who are asleep and drunk, they are not ready for what is about to happen. But those who are awake and sober, those who are children of the day, children of light, followers of Jesus, living with the end game in mind, they are ready for whatever is about to happen. And let me tell you, you want to be ready for what is about to happen. When my wife and I first got married, we had an experience one night, and I was not ready for what was about to happen. 
And it was one of the most terrifying nights of my life. I had grown up in East Tennessee. Um, My wife and I had been married for just a couple of months. It was a fall weekend in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. The leaves were changing colors. It's just beautiful up there that time of year. And so I told Steph, I said, I want us to go camping together. And so we were going to go up on this mountaintop. We were going to go way off the beaten path. I was a local. I knew spots that other people just didn't know. And so we went way up in the mountain on top of this mountain, a a long way from anybody. I don't think that anyone seriously was within five miles of us that night. And so we go up there and we set up our tent and we build a campfire and we cook and we talk and we enjoy the night. We let the campfire kind of die down. We climbed into the tent. We got into our sleeping bags. We went to bed and went to sleep for the night. At some point in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was really, really startled because there was a truck pulling into our campsite. And, and I'm telling you, when I say isolated, I mean really isolated. There is no way someone's driving down the road in the middle of the night going, oh, look, a campsite. Let's pull over and check it out, okay? If you wanted to go there, you had to know how to get where we were. You weren't just going to stumble into it. And so I'm really, really startled. This truck pulls within 50 yards of our tent. And so I tell Steph, I said, you stay in the tent no matter what. I got out of the tent. And as I'm getting out of the tent, these guys are getting out of the truck. I had no idea what time it was. It was pitch black. It was the middle of the night. And as they got out of the truck, I could see that they all had guns. I I did not have a gun. But they didn't know I didn't have a gun, okay? And so what I did is I acted like I had something behind my back. And I said in the most intimidating voice that I could manufacture in the moment, I said, you boys better tell me what you're doing. And I mean right now before bullets start flying. And so very quickly, they're like, hey, man, we're just here to deer hunt. Our stands are not too far from here. And I was totally relieved in that moment. And I said, great, you guys need to get on into the woods and make your way on out of here. And so they grabbed their gear and they headed into the woods. I took a huge, deep breath. I asked my wife, babe, can you hand me a clean pair of underwear? I mean, it was... That kind of experience, okay? Shortly after that, we make our way out of the woods. I got home. We told Steph's dad the whole story. Steph's dad, on that day, gave me my first gun ever. And he said, don't you ever take my daughter into the woods again without packing this gun and maybe a few others, right? I wasn't ready for what happened that night. And it really was a terrifying experience. And so Paul says, you need to be awake. You need to be sober. You need to be ready. Because that day is coming like a thief in the night. And so Paul tells them what they need to do to be ready. Verse 8 They're already followers of Jesus, but he adds, he says, let's put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, I know what Paul's describing. He's describing this image of a Roman soldier who's getting ready for a battle. But at first I read this and I thought, well, why do I need to get ready for a battle? Like Jesus is coming back. 
Jesus is going to be the one who's judging everything in the world at that time, not me. He's going to be fighting the battle with evil, not me. He's going to be doing away with all the evil things and all the evil people, not me. Why do I need to get ready for a battle? And it's because Paul understands something about the end game that you and I need to understand. He knows the closer we get to the end, the harder it will be for Christians to live like Jesus in this world. And some of you already know that because it is proving to be really, really, really hard for you to live like Jesus. And the whole reason that Jesus is coming back at this time is because he understands that the world has become a very ungodly place And people are doing very ungodly things. And so Paul is writing, saying, Jesus is going to deal with them, but you better get ready for the fight. You better be ready for the battle, because if you don't, this world will suck you in, and you will find yourself doing things in the end times that you have no business doing as a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ. And so Paul says, I want you to get ready and I want you to stay ready every day of your life. Verses 9 and 10, he says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. We're not on the receiving end of that, but instead we're going to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says he died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. I look at verse nine and it's really clear that every single person on the planet will experience one of two things. They will either suffer wrath or they will see the reality of their salvation. That they will literally be saved from the wrath of God that is coming on the world. And so my question for you as we wrap up the series is this, what's it going to be for you? If the Lord came back like a thief in the night, right here, right now, would you suffer his wrath or would you see the reality of your salvation? Would you suffer his wrath because you don't have a relationship with Jesus? Or would you see the reality of your salvation because you have put all of your hope and all of your faith in Jesus? I need you to hear me say this. I'm not trying to scare you this morning. But I cannot be more gentle with you than Jesus would be. I cannot stand up here and downplay the reality of the events that will take place in the end game. But what I can do for you is I can offer you God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you are ready for the end game. Timothy Keller shared such an important thought when he said, unless you point to the good news of God's grace, people will not be able to bear the bad news of God's judgment. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm pointing to the good news of God's grace. And I'm just letting you know that God gives it freely to people who put their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and just acknowledge, I need Jesus to forgive my sin and I need Jesus to live my life. There is grace that he gives to all who would put their faith in him. So Peter, 
one of the closest followers of Jesus, when he wrote about the end game, this is what he said. First Peter chapter one, verse 13. He said, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We're not talking about people who have no hope. We're not talking about holding on to some kind of false hope. We're talking about having real hope that is given to us through God's grace that is made available through a simple expression of faith in his son, Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I want to help you with that as we pray here in just a moment. For those of you who already are followers of Jesus, I want to ask you a question. What is the story that you want your life to tell? Because I think there are a lot of people, even Christian people, who are living all of their life thinking that the decisions that I make are isolated events. And they're not. The decisions that you make are literally writing the story of your life. Line by line, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, book by book. And you can either live your life as a follower of Jesus, saying, I'm going to think about what I want today. Or you can live your life as a follower of Jesus, thinking, I'm more focused on where I want to be tomorrow. And so what's it going to be? As you write the story of your life, are you thinking more about what you want today or more about where you want to be tomorrow? Here at Mosaic Church, we literally believe that every man, woman, boy, and girl who ever lives on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, they will spend forever somewhere. And so we're a group of people who are committed to reaching the entire Mississippi Gulf Coast by making Jesus as clear as possible in the context of a relationship that is as loving as possible. And we ask all those who are followers of Jesus and who call Mosaic their church home to roll up their sleeves and to get busy helping us take the message of Jesus Christ all along the Gulf Coast, even as we start new ministries, even as we start new campuses and new locations in the coming year. We want you to partner with us because Jesus said... Night is coming when no man can work. And so we need to work while it is day before that day comes. Will you pray with me? God, for those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, I pray that we would wake up. I pray that we would live with a greater sense of urgency and that we would truly live with the end game in mind. I pray, God, that the things of this world would start to fade away and that we would get laser focused on your kingdom seeing your kingdom come, seeing your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. God, for those who do not know Jesus, I pray, God, that right now they would put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that they would simply say in their heart, God, I need Jesus to forgive my sins. I'm asking Jesus to be the leader of my life so that I can live with you both now and forever. Pray it all in Jesus' great name. Amen.